This is the Car Dealer Podcast driven by CarGurus. You want the best return for your advertising budgets and CarGurus Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Welcome back to the Car Dealer Podcast. If you haven't listened before, we pick our favourite stories of the week and ask an industry guest to choose which were the best. I'm John Ray and joining me yet again is the one and only James Baggett. James, how are you? I'm very good, John. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. It's very kind oh, of you. Well, I try. <laughs> what have you been up to? Anything interesting? I have, been, I have been in America this week driving the uh, new... Uh, 7 Series and the new i7, which I'm not allowed to tell you about because it's an embargo until November the 5th, which is very boring. Um, mm. But uh, what can I tell you? Uh, it's definitely a BMW uh, and rather interesting. Oh, and what do you think of the way it looks? Uh, I am slightly unsure about the way it looks. Um, the, I did a roundtable interview with the uh, chairman of BMW, uh, Oliver Zips, uh, and one of the uh, other journalists in the room asked him um, about the controversial looks of the new BMWs, and he gave a very interesting answer. I mean, one of the one of the journalists' question was, "Did you did you design it like this on purpose? <laughs> like, what is it? No, it just sort of happened. It was sort of a mistake. No, he said, yes, we did." do it on purpose and we wanted to make it controversial because if it's not controversial you're not doing your job properly um and he certainly succeeded at that hasn't he i think you follow a very similar um line editorially if it's not controversial you're not doing your job properly exactly yes you're right <laughs> moving on <laughs> moving on well our guest this week needs no introduction it's none other than motor trade legend jim reed jim Wow, <laughs> that's very, 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 very strong statement. Thank you very much for that. Well, you know, we try and flatter our guests so they come back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Jim, Jim, for those for those one or maybe two people who don't know about your business, perhaps you could just give us a little rundown on the on the on the size of your business yeah. and, and what you do. Yeah, of course, absolutely, not a problem. So we're an independent dealer based up in the northeast of Scotland, just not that far from Aberdeen. There is north of Aberdeen, believe it or not, for everybody out there. Uh, we're about 13 or 14 miles from the airport and we've been in business for this is our 20th year so we will become 20 on the 1st of February next year. Uh, we started as just myself and my wife Gail back all, all those years ago and we've kind of established a business now to sell new used vans, van hire, we've got a workshop as well uh, so yeah, you know it's a whole dealership experience now 16 i think we've got 17 staff now in total so a uh, growing quite 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 over that period of time you know so uh but yeah that's us and what sort of um what sort of stock do you is your bread and butter yeah so so we stock traditionally to be, you know 25 percent split right across so we've got you know sporty staff a uh, some hot hatch uh, we've got commercials pickups uh, we have got some family family stuff as well and you know it is, it is just a mixture of of stock, but we particularly look after our local marketplace rather than national. We don't go for national at all. If we pick up one or two national ones, it's brilliant. It does tend to be local people 
uh, that we look after so we can get their service and afterwards it's a whole experience that we try and sell. And how's business at the moment? Things are okay. Yeah, so I mean, this year has been likely our best year yet uh, by, 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 by a long shot, I would say. And although I thought it would tail off earlier than what it has, uh, October certainly, certainly still been a good month and we're still on target for, or st still on course for target, hitting target for October as well. Fantastic. I mean, especially after after last year, many dealers didn't, well, many dealers said 2021 was going to be the best year ever. So the fact that that's continued into this year, you haven't seen any slowdown in, in used car sales as the year's gone on? No. So, I mean, the the availability of stock, as everybody knows, is, is a, you know, is a terrible, terrible situation. But picking the right stock, getting a decent margin across it, concentrating on actual experience with the customer, the deal, with the customer as well, and getting a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of you know beef in the bone with regards to the the finance commission as well. You know, we've been very, you know, we've looked at finance commission and we have actually pushed it up as we've been seen seen fit. Uh, obviously, keeping within the FCA rules as well, and that's obviously keeping our our gross and our net margins uh, very very healthy. So yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's the same old thing, isn't it? You know, units are for for uh, for vanity and and profits for sanity. So. Oh, good. That's good to hear. Nice so, to hear so that's, that, that's suggesting I'm sane, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we like to hear some positivity. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, and what, what do you think is going to happen with, with, with used car prices as we go forward? We sort of ask this question a lot on the uh, on the podcast because we like to get lots of people's different opinion. And um, what do you think is going to happen as, as the economy tightens a little bit and consumer confidence is waning? What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, it's, a, it's a difficult one to predict. I mean, if we could predict, obviously, we'd be, you know, we'd all be uh, retired and, and millionaires, wouldn't we? But, all, 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 uh, you know, my personal thoughts is it will tail off. There's no doubts about that at all. It won't be cliff edge, I don't think. You know, because there's no, there's not the same stock levels coming through with the new registrations. So it can't be from the used car point of view. You know, the business model industry you know if you look at it in simplicity it is very very easy to understand that it? it's a supply and demand you know the transaction and the experience of the transaction in between for the dealership side of things and the customer that is sets you out from the crowd but the reality is it is you buy it x and you sell it y and if there's a very very short supply of something it will push the prices up but with that push up you will actually still get a decent margin in there don't you know my advice would be, you know, don't get too tied up with all the the advice that we all get. We, we get advice from everybody, don't we? You know, uh, you know, everybody wants to tell you what the retail price of a car is. The retail price of a car is what somebody will be prepared to pay. You know, so I think that, and, and that's not ripping people off at all, James. That is just purely looking at it from the point of view of, you know, if I've got a bag of gold here and it's worth a bag of platinum, I'm going to ask it for platinum. Jim, one of the points you made there, which I find quite fascinating, is that you you concentrate on dealing with your local market, and you haven't been you tempted to to sell nationally. Um, wh why is that? And um, it, because w with the expansion of online online sales, the the market's national, isn't it? There is the opportunity to to deal with people all over the country. Why have you chosen just to specifically deal with your locality? Yes, I mean, we've always looked at that. I mean, there are a few reasons for that. I mean, one of the reasons is the fact that we've actually got a workshop. We've got an after-sales market. So we want to fill that uh, market, you know, we need to fill that workshop with work. Uh, 
So obviously it's local, brilliant. It's any further south, you know, further away than 50 miles and they're not going to come back for servicing here. Uh, that is a, a definitive. But with regards to, you know, this, you know, distant rules uh, for selling, you know, customers, I think customers have got it far too easy. You know, they can buy a car with a press of a button, transfer the money, get 14 days, if they just don't like it, but a little scratch or a little whatever it is, and they can pop it back. Expectations of customers are way up here. And unfortunately, the reality of used vehicles is still here. It's been better than what it ever has been, but the reality is it will still fall short a lot of the time for, for customers. We like to show around our customers, like by video for a start, and then take them in and show them. But the whole thing is about driving the vehicle and you know experience the people you're actually dealing with and you'll get return business. And that's what it's all about, return business. Because if you've got local people, they have got, normally their families are local, their friends are definitely local as well, and word of mouth spreads, and then you obviously get that business back as well. So instead of spending thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds in classifieds, which we don't, you know, we invest it in, you know, local, the database, the, you know, the local, you know, social media is local, you know, mm. at the end of the day, you know, you're not going to follow me in Hampton or Portsmouth, they follow me as a car, because as local car dealerships eh, are likely a lot more interesting than what I am eh, up in Aberdeen here. So, so, you know, we concentrate on that because it's a lot easier to deal with local people, I feel. Yeah, fascinating. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for that. Mm. What, sh what should we do, John? Should we crack on? Let's crack on, as I'm sure we will cover much more besides. Uh, so if you haven't listened before, James and I have chosen our favourite stories from the Cardio website this week. We don't know what each other has chosen, and we're going to have a chat about each one as we go through. At the end, Jim gets to decide whose stories were the best and who is the winner probably James again. If you want to play along, you can tweet at CardiLamag and let us know if you think we've missed anything. In our last episode, James was the winner, so you can go first. Thanks, John. That's very kind of you. Um, so I am going to go with a story that has just been published, some breaking news here uh, that's just gone on the website, in the hope that John hasn't seen it. Um, and that is uh, news that Pendragon, uh, the nationally listed um, uh, car dealer business, has been subject to a cyber attack. Uh, they are currently being held ransom uh, by cyber attackers uh, to the tune of... 54 million pounds these oh, hackers want them to pay uh that money into a bitcoin uh account of course they do um and uh the the business has announced that they are um trying to battle this attack um they've told the uh the times today that they uh quote was we refuse to be held hostage by this group and we will not be paying a ransom demand um, but it is also revealed that this this has been ongoing for a month so it's not a new thing. Um, what they, uh, the hackers, is a group known as Lockbit uh, 3.0. You know of them, John? Nope. No, neither do I. I'm, I'm not um, friends with these people. Don't worry. No, okay. Uh, Lockbit 3.0 uh, have uh, apparently stolen 5% of the uh, dealer group's database uh, and are threatening to release it onto the dark web if they don't pay this, um, pay this huge ransom. 
So that's a bit, little bit of breaking news now. We've had a few of these, haven't we? These um, recent, I mean, recently, I think. Well, I say recently, in the mm. last twelve months or so, um, there was another dealer group, which is totally escapes me who it was. Another dealer group that was attacked, um, and Honda had a big attack, didn't they? In um, in the in the states by cyber attackers. Wasn't it in the Swindon plant? I thought they had an attack a few years ago. I, I think it was. Have, I might have imagined yeah. that, but I think it affected a few things. I mean, I think this is the biggest dealer group one that we've seen, unless yes. my memory is incorrect. Um, but it's a very difficult thing to know how to deal with that, isn't it? I mean, it's. I mean, I assume they're not going to pay up and pay fifty-four million pounds or whatever the fig- yeah, fifty-four million. I assume. Well, have they gonna... have they got fifty-four million pounds to pay up? Uh, well, presumably not. But I mean, what do you do in this situation? It's because presumably, if these things are released onto the dark web, I mean, we don't know what data that uh, it, they're threatening to actually release. Presumably, customer information. What it kind of like fine it. would you look at from the ICO for something like that? I suppose it depends entirely on how they've they've secured it. If they've done it to the best of their Pendragon have secured it to the best of their ability, I think it's sort of it's a less of a situation because these things do happen. Well, I'm just very worrying at, times. Doing. Yeah, I've just done a quick Google on the site, and um, since March, there's been two other dealer groups, LSH Auto, um, mm. had legal action taken against them after uh, staff uh, data staff data was was hacked and released. Uh, and the most recent one was two months ago when uh, hackers targeted uh, Holdcroft Group, mm. um, and again compromised employees' data. So it's a worrying thing, isn't it? This for the for the, um, for the industry, Jim. Do you get worried about the these sorts of cyber attacks? I mean, is it something that's on your on your radar? And is there anything that you do as a business to sort of protect yourself? Yeah, I mean, you know, cyber, cyber attack is you know it, it is the one thing that you think well you can lock your doors, you can lock your gates, you can lock all your cars and put on the alarms. But the reality is, there's always that potential of. You know, regardless of what you do, I think the hackers are always one one step in front, aren't they? You know, I think that's the, the reality of the situation. Mm. You know, I th- you know, I think from the from the ICO's point of view, you know, the, the fine side of things, you know, how you know how how can that money not be reinvested back into just making the UK economy just that bit more secure, you know, rather than just finding people? Because the reality is, you know, we are only businesses going about our own business, aren't we? We can mm. only ever you know, I, I, I could why buy buy a buy a padlock this size to lock my gate if I can get away with one this size. Mm. And it's just, you know it's the same as cyber security as well, isn't it? You know, mm. you, you know it's all to do with you know what is the potential loss, what is the potential risk in reality. It's not something that keeps me awake at night, James. But the reality is there is a real risk for any dealership. You know, any dealership of any size uh, in any amount of money, isn't it? Mm. But, John, you, you're a bit of a um, you're a bit of a tech expert, as it were, for uh, for Blackwell Media and Cardinal Magazine. Can you explain? Like, I mean, I'm not asking you to work out what how it's happened, but how do these people get in? I mean, what's the kind of common way of of, of hackers getting into sort of a database like that? Well, I, don't know, James, so I, just, many... I just fix the printer. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I mean, it's I I guess it would entirely depend on. I don't know how they're storing this data. Um, I suppose the worry for com- the problem I would imagine for companies like this is if it's if it's to do with such as LSH, um, you said it was uh, staff data, didn't you? Yes. Usually that sort of information you you store it on some database that was probably set up in two thousand and one or something, and you've got no real incentive to 
you know there's no reason to keep upgrading that or uh you know making it more secure or whatever it's probably just on a an internal server somewhere that probably isn't all that secure whereas maybe for e-commerce there's an incentive to invest lots of money in it and make sure it's you know really secure because yes. obviously you have to keep investing in e-commerce that's just how we're the situation is yeah, so is, is it a case of people clicking on stuff that they shouldn't have clicked on it like, can be it can be a phishing related thing yeah mm. absolutely um, we, do a, we do put a bit, of, you know, we do put a lot of trust into IT, don't we? Because mm. you know, you know, all these security cu customers that say you know with cyber, cyber security or whatever it is, we're putting a lot of trust into the cloud, don't we? Because the reality yeah. is, what is the cloud? You know, the cloud is just a server somewhere else, isn't it? The reality yeah. is, absolutely. If that server burns down in the Amazon or wherever it is, you know, you know, we're all stupid, aren't we? So mm -hmm. yeah, so that that is you know, we put a lot of trust in them placing that servers in the right place and mm. being secure. To the outside world as well, so it's a very difficult one, isn't it? You know, as I say, you know, from you know, your, your heart goes out. You've been arguing really because I mean, they're they're, they're mm. really you know, they're going to be hated by the customers for it, and they're going to be hated by the IC ICO for it as well. Aren't they? Yeah, um, absolutely. And the, the really the other really difficult thing is you can take all the steps that you possibly can, but systems are built on inherently kind of open source um or widely used operating systems and so on you know you can make your system as secure as you want it to but if it's based on you know if it's running on windows or if it's running on linux as the other kind of server thing there will eventually be a hole found in one of these things that's nothing to do with you and affects every customer of that in the entire world and that's how yeah. you know these things slip through and that's you know we've seen a few things like that over the years i mean we're just as affected by that as any other company and we've had to kind of make sure we patch things uh like that sorry yeah. this has got a very pc world doesn't it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i like but it yes in short you can't really do much so um sorry about that thanks john that's story number one <laughs> <laughs> right well i'll move us on then um and i'm gonna go for a story that also has recently been published on our website which is the news that a luxury car dealer has been ordered to pay out nearly £120,000 for a Mercedes convertible that had, I quote, catastrophic leak. So this is a dealership called GVE London, um, and they've been sued over selling a Mercedes-AMG GTC Roadster, um, which is one of those hundreds of different Mercedeses that I can't even picture in my mind, but I'm sure it's a very expensive and very luxurious vehicle. Um, but the the long and the short of this is that um, a lady bought this car, Alison Kinnison Manwaring, uh, of, I believe, some sort of stately home in Shropshire. So uh, she bought this car, parked it in a lovely, luxuriously heated garage, allegedly. Uh, and then as soon as she parked it outside, it developed a catastrophic leak. The footwells filled up with water, uh, which damaged wiring, electrical components, all these sorts of things to the point where experts said that it reduced the value of the convertible. This is a £130,000 car, I think. It reduced the value of it to £8,000. So that's that's quite a leak, isn't it, to uh, knock £118,000 or something off the value of your car. John, I've got £8,000 for that car. <laughs> <laughs> well, you if you're listening, uh, yeah. If you're listening, Alison, um, there There's is North a dealer there. north of Aberdeen. <laughs> That will uh, will take it on, Indeed. but yeah, I just thought this is incredible, and it's it, the dealership has claims that the problem was caused by a Mercedes dealer not clearing out a drainage channel when it was servicing the car. Um, 
the thing with this, John, is that this whole story is why on earth did it get to the High Court? You know, it's like normally, normally with an issue like this, and I'm sure Jim will testify, you just deal with the customer's problem and get it sorted, don't you? You want the customer to be happy. So the fact that this has gone to the High Court and they've had to, they've had the GVE have had their claim dismissed, mm. says to me, this has gone a little bit too far. Hundred percent. I mean, it's absolutely. You know, it's 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 beyond ridiculous. In fact, isn't it? It's mm. absolutely ridiculous. It's catastrophically ridiculous, isn't it? Mm. Uh, it's absolutely crazy, crazy, crazy. Madness. I mean, Jim, surely it's just easier just to even 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 sometimes when you're in the wrong, just well, when you're in the right. Sorry, just to go here's your money back. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so, so, sometimes, sometimes you know, should we suggest as viewers, but sometimes it is the customer. You know. Mm. You know, some, yeah. sometimes their expectations are far, far too, a uh, far too high. So, so sometimes, but you've got to deal with that. You, you know, as a business like any business, though, you've got to deal with that. If you've taken money off them, you're then responsible for that car and for that customer, and you've got to help them make that decision. So, you know, if that was me, you know, I, you know, over the years, I have bought back, you know, a handful of cars, uh, because we do try and do the job obviously right. But we've had to get to that point where we've just said. Sorry, we can't go any further with this. But listen, what we'll do is we'll buy the car back for for X, Y, Z. But you know, you would never let it go to court. You know, one from a reputation point of view, and secondly, uh, you know, just from a, just you know, just from a, you know that money point of view, hundred twenty madness, isn't that? Yeah, madness. It is. I mean, I will say one of the one of the things that probably didn't help was it was it was bought in August two thousand eighteen, and the issue occurred in november 2019 so it's just over a year later yeah. so i suppose at that stage you're kind of weighing up what to do mm. but yeah i mean it is still incredible it's got to this stage and also i mean i i do slightly question the reducing it in value to eight thousand five hundred pounds from yeah. a bit of footwell water i mean cars get written off you know in accidents and flooding or whatever and are still worth more than eight and a half grand let alone a mercedes like this yeah, unless it's literally flooded the entire engine as well, there's yeah. still far more value in it than that. I suppose the reality is, John. You know, the, the, the problem is the problem, isn't it? You know, the you know the mm. problem is if I bought a car for that amount of money and it was leaking, yes, I would have an issue. I would definitely have an issue. But why would you take it to court? You know, you just sort it out with the dealership, yeah. as simple as that, and, and and get it so it actually worked on your behalf. Mm. You know, so you actually got go out it, go out it, eh, no problem. So. And the, the thing that the thing is, looking at this case, in March, she was awarded by the judge one hundred and eighteen thousand pounds, which uh, which she was paid less five thousand pounds for the use of the car. Plus, she's been given some damages. But the judge has been sensible there, hasn't he? He said, "Look, you've had the car for thirteen months. We, we, that's going to cost you five thousand pounds of depreciation." So, to be honest with you, the, the dealership probably wouldn't have been out of pocket anyway if they just bought the car back in the first place, and they wouldn't have had. We wouldn't have been writing about it, and neither would the sun. I know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. I'll move on to my story. Um, my next one uh, is following an interview uh, that I did with the aforementioned uh, BMW chairman of the uh, board of management. I love that. Chairman of the board of management. Not chairman. Chairman of the board of management of BMW. Um, I didn't realise I was doing this interview with Oliver Zipes until about half an hour before I was thrown into the roundtable discussion, um, which is always a little bit nerve-wracking. Um, and um, I sat down with 
uh, six or seven other journalists from around the world ended up getting the first question. And I dared to ask uh, Oliver about his plans um, for production at the Oxford plant um, for the Mini uh, in the UK. And there was just this really awkward pause where he looked at me with the most evil look I've ever seen anybody look. And he just turned around and looked at the BMW 7 Series and i7 outside and just looked back at me and said, I thought we were here to talk about the car. Thought, oh, my God. <laughs> I sort of shrank to my seat a little bit, a little bit nervous and said, oh, I'm really sorry, but I have to ask you some news questions as well. Uh, <laughs> But after it, uh, after it gave me that kind of verbal beating, he did answer the question. Um, and he actually um, issued a little bit of a warning to the British government um, that he believes that the 2030 ban on combustion engines is basically going to come too soon. Uh, and he says it's going to cause self-inflicted wounds on the UK car industry, is what he said. He, um, he said he's going to, it will lead to a shrinking of the industry and many suppliers will end up leaving the island. He said, this is completely self-inflicted. And to have a country without charging infrastructure, to think you can do only electric cars is a dangerous thing. Mm. Which I thought was very, very interesting because we have said this many times before, haven't we, that actually the, the UK is very poorly set up for charging electric cars. Um, and now here's the boss of one of the biggest car manufacturers saying exactly that um, and issuing a warning to the British government that they've... Um, They've done it too soon. But the good news is we're very good at U-turns now, aren't we? So uh, it's something that's been tried and tested over the last couple of weeks. Um, so I'm sure that whoever comes into power, probably Boris, will go, oh, maybe we can just move that on a little bit. We're allowed to do U-turns now. I don't know. What, what do you think? Wow. Well, yes, I, I thought it was very interesting that he singled out the charging infrastructure. infrastructure and then not least because we've both experienced it and want to throttle anyone within our vicinity whenever we're trying to use it but yeah i thought it's it interesting that he is aware of it you know up in his board of management or whatever you said um is aware of this because people just assume you know you see the numbers you hear these stats of oh there's more charging points in the uk than there are petrol pumps and all this that and the other which sort of masks the actual issues um the thing i took away from well firstly i will say it's amusing to see again a bmw executive threatening the british government over a uh, plant in the UK because that hasn't happened since when was the Rover 75 unveiled? Mm, quite uh, a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was that was a nice echo of that. Um, but yes, the other thing is is this home of the mini quote yes. that he said because of course for for those listening to the podcast who have not seen this news, the electric um, the electric version of the mini currently produced in Oxford, the, they're moving production to China. I'm not sure when they're actually doing that. It's not, a, a, you know, massively surprising news because am I right in thinking that it shares its its platform, the next one, it's shared with the Chinese car. I think it's shared with the Aura Cat or something. I might have confused that with a, a smart no, I think. I think no, I, I think you're right. It does. Uh, the current, currently, um, the they've just basically changed an existing platform to be electric. Yeah, they've shoved a battery onto the combustion engine one, which is why it's got a tiny battery. Um, so it's not a huge surprise that that's happening. But his his kind of response to this is that nothing is changing uh, and their commitment to the UK remains the same and that Oxford will be the home of the Mini. Well, that to me, home of the Mini doesn't really... Mm, it doesn't no, say it doesn't, I'm going to stay there forever, does it? No, it's, it doesn't. You know, I mean, my home was in Kent. I don't live there anymore. 
but that's still my home county. You know, it's home of the mini is completely different from whether, you know, a commitment to keep producing it there. Well, the other telling thing was during the presentation beforehand, they explained that um, their two of their brands will be electric only in the future, Mm. mini and Rolls Royce. Um, So very soon, uh, they will stop producing combustion engines uh, for uh, combustion engine powered cars in, mm. for the mini, which means, well, where are they going to be made? Because those electric cars, those electric minis are now being made in China. Mm. So once they, once that brand comes com- completely electric, where, where's that going to, where's that going to mean they're going to be made? So I asked them that question. That was the answer that I got. Um, and I did press it home a little bit with a, uh, with a BMW spokesman and said, so does that mean the electric minis of the future is going to be made at Oxford? Uh, and he said, well, we can't speak about the future that far in advance. But you heard what he said. Oxford will always, will, will continue to be minis home. Whether that means a few accountants are based there remains mm. to be seen. With his response to you, James, I mean, with the response he had, <clears throat> you obviously got from him with the question you asked. Do you think he was actually the selfish receptionist that dealt with the guy, the, the girl with the Merc before? <laughs> he's, maybe, he's maybe just going to step up to BMW chairman or whatever it is. Yeah? Uh, well, interestingly, his background was he used to run the plant at Oxford. You know, he's, so he's, right. you know, he's, no, mm. he's, he's definitely got experience of it. He knows how passionate the Brits are about, about car manufacturing. I, I, from, from the way that he delivered his answer, uh, there, it was a little bit, it was committal, but very non-committal at the same time, if you can yeah. see yeah. what I mean. Um yeah, it was a it was an int- interesting chat, despite getting told off at the start. Yeah, <laughs> what I will say on this as well, my final point is that it's interesting to hear a company that is. It's interesting to hear BMW threatening this because the last company that threatened this was Toyota, and you can look at Toyota and say, well, okay, I can understand why they have an issue with the twenty thirty ban because they don't actually have any electric cars apart from one, which they've only just managed to start selling again because the wheels keep falling off or something. There was some ridiculous recall, wasn't there? Whereas BMW and Mini are very invested in EVs, really, aren't they? And have been for quite a while. Yeah. So this is not a this is not them saying we don't like the ban because we are not ready to produce electric cars. You know, by the end of next year, it feels like every model they've got will be electrified almost. Yeah. So this is more to do with, I would imagine, where they get the batteries from, because we haven't sorted that out in this country yet. There's not really a battery supply network is there it all has to come from the eu which you know we get our lovely they uh the tariffs in, apply don't they if the the battery comes from the eu so it's not economical to make them in this country um and of course minis we forget as well but they are small and therefore don't have much profit in them comparatively speaking so why wouldn't you move it to china i think we will find out in the uh, future john yes we'll be right back you want the best return from your advertising budget, and CarGuru's Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market, high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Now, let's get back to the quiz. But that's my one. Over to you. Okay. Um, I'm going to move this on to... It's been quite a big week for breaking news, isn't it? I'm going to move this on to um, 
The news about Stellantis Ooh, and the yes. UK dealers. Oh, I did have this one. Mm, well, no, I've stolen it. Uh, James did not write this. James Batchelor wrote this, who is uh, not here this week, but I will give him a shout-out, as the YouTubers say, to it now. So <laughs> Stellantis are to Axe, is the words. We've got 138 UK dealers as it seeks to streamline its business. So 138 dealers is quite a lot. I mean, it seems like quite a lot. That's actually, it's just under half, I think, of their network. Um, and, I mean, there's various... There's a lot of information in this in this story, so I urge you to go and read it. Um, but they don't have a kind of they don't have an idea of how many they want in in the future. There's no end point goal, is what they say. Uh, what they want is, and I quote, a mutual dependency, a commitment to customer experience, and the drive to simplification, which is an interesting thing to say from Stellantis, who have about nine hundred brands in Europe alone. <laughs> so, it's interesting. <laughs> So what their their plan is simplification. What their plan is is to uh, it's the the multi franchising idea is rearing its head. Mm. So they want to do these sort of House of Stellantis is what they're calling it dealerships, which to me is a hilarious name. Um, <laughs> but what they're going to try and do is shoehorn, and I will list the brands now: Peugeot, Citroen, DS, Fiat, Abarth, Jeep, Alfa Romeo, all under one roof which is going to be interesting. It's not going to confuse customers anyway. No, no, not at all. Not at all. So that is that is their plan. I mean, you can. there are definitely some arguments for that because you can see the way that they're going. The cars are converging and becoming homogenous, aren't they? There's, a, there's okay, there are, there are differences between a Peugeot 208 and a Vauxhall Corsa, but, you know, you can only do that so many times across seven brands, can't you, before things start to become a bit noticeable. Um, so that's one element is multi-franchising. The other is, of course, agency sales. So there's a little bit more information on what they plan to do with agency sales. Um, we're gonna, they, they say with their mainstream brands, which is Vauxhall, Peugeot, Fiat, Citroen and a Bath and Jeep, they're going to manage them with a new centralized operational function, which is a great bit of management speak. Um we want to create a frictionless relationship with our partners. We're going to manage the relationship with our retailer partners across brands from sales after sales, quality of customer experience, and from a network development perspective. Uh, we will create an environment where there's a common ownership of objectives and the challenges that we face, and we strongly believe that we will deliver. Compared to today, which is a much more fragmented approach, a single point of contact and ownership of the issues that our retailers face. So... There's a bit of reading between the lines there, but it sounds a little bit like they want to take hold of a bit more of the sales process for mm. many different reasons, I'm sure. Big news, though, isn't it? 138 day dealers disappearing. I remember reading mm. this one when um, when when we um, published it and I was in the States and I was a little bit shocked about it. If I'm honest, I thought that is that is big news and that is a massive shake-up. Um, you've covered most of it in there, but the bit that I thought uh, I didn't raise a right smile at was they're going to uh, create a premium division and it will consist of alfa romeo and ds <laughs> is that it yeah okay ds premium oh come on yeah. give it up already jesus they've got some nice bits of leather on the dashboard oh, oh, i mean on. i i kind of see that my my bigger problem with that is that it creates a massive if that's their premium section is two brands that's surely means that their mainstream brand selection is massive yeah. to the point of being ridiculous. 
And it reminds me a little bit of, okay, it's not managed quite as poorly, but it reminds me of General Motors, which is sort of amusing because that's where Vauxhall was before Stellantis came along. Yeah. General Motors in kind of the 90s was an enormous, sprawling mass of stuff, particularly in America. They had all these individual brands, uh, which they, you know, had very proud histories, but fundamentally just ended up churning out rubbish with different badges on over the years. I'm not saying Stellantis makes rubbish, but they will end up, if they're not careful, making exactly the same car seven times. Um, and surely there's only so much choice that customers need at the end of the day, particularly when they see them in a multi-franchise showroom all next to each other at presumably slightly different price points. Yeah, I mean, the, worry, the, worrying, the worrying thing from, from, from our perspective, I suppose from a dealer perspective, is is where do these dealerships end up? Because there's 158 less brand new car dealerships. Where mm. are they actually going to end up? Are they going to use, end up in the used car market, which is then an hour turf? You know, there's there's less cars anyway. You know, mm. it's, I think it's a two, is it two years that they've been given notice. So yeah, two that years was in time. May last year, so... Yeah, so within the prime stock period, you know, within the first three years, age-wise, we're going to land up with, you know, let's say it's an extra 100 dealers, uh, you know, selling used cars, you know, to, 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 to that kind of volume, you know, 10 million turnover, uh, you know, sites type of thing. You know, it's, a, it's a lot of cars going to miss, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's going to have a, it will have a knock-on effect, uh, definitely. So, yep. And if well, they're not going to used car dealerships, there's a lot of jobs. There is a lot of jobs, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of experience as well, John, you know, that's what you've got to forget, that you forget mm. about as well. You know, a lot of these, especially from the workshop point of view, you know, that that is, you know, the experience that comes up through obviously the workshops is years and years of experience. And as these dealerships are actually trimmed back, because we've seen, you know, I've seen that first time myself, you trim back, the older guys just go, listen, I've had enough, we'll just move on to the next, either next place or retire. And uh, you've lost all those years of experience, which is a major, major issue. You mm. know, because although everybody thinks cars will just plug in, find out what it is, and you just fix fix it, it ain't that easy. You know, mm. so from an after sales point of view, they will have a major headache on their on their hands. But you know, what what's your guys' thoughts? I mean, not I'm doing that interview at all, but I mean, what's your guys' thoughts on you know on the multi franchise model then? Because you know. I'm kind of torn, torn between the two, really, because it's quite a good idea, isn't it? Uh, mm. Although, from a customer's point of view, it could be really confusing. Yeah. Uh, it, it would have to be, you know, product genius that knows the whole line of cars. You couldn't mm. say, oh, I'm looking at a Fiat 500, and also I want to have a little look at the, the Peugeot 2008 or whatever it is. Oh, no, you've got to go and see my colleague. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, that's, that's sort of... It sort of works in that circumstance where where the customer doesn't really know what they're what they're after. But I I think that there's going to be some brands that are always going to miss out, aren't they? You know, you turn up at a multi franchise Stellantis uh, dealership and you look at something like uh, a Vauxhall Mocha. You know, you're you, there's there's two other cars from other brands that are instantly exactly the same, or at least one. You know, the Peugeot E two thousand and eight. It's one of those one of those two brands is going to miss out, and there will be one that they always end up pushing them into. So, I can see from a customer point of view, it's quite a good thing. You know, you go in there and say, "Yeah, like I'm looking for a Peugeot Peugeot 208," and they can say, "Well, what one? You consider all of these other models, and we can sell them to you too." But mm. there's also the potential for for it to lead to a little bit of little bit of trouble. So, I'm not sure. I think it, it depends on the operators, doesn't it? There are some very good operators out there, and I'm sure some of them can make a real good success of it. But mm. I, I think also 
it depends on the brands, doesn't it? I think if you have ones that are, what's the word, complementary, I don't think I don't think you can shove too many of a similar ilk under one roof. You know, if you look at the, if I were to use the example of small dealers around the UK that had things like Mitsubishi alongside Suzuki, you know, those two brands are not competing; they complement mm. each other, don't they? You know, you you have your local customers who want their tiny little Suzuki to get around, and then also your customers who want an L two hundred to move farm machinery around or whatever, and that's they're not competing. But as you say. When you walk in and there's a Citroen and a Peugeot and a Vauxhall and a, a DS for not that much more money, probably all competing is. And also, I mean, what's the? I presume they're not going to shoehorn all seven or how many brands they've got under one roof, but that's an enormous amount of space to dedicate yeah. that many yeah. things. John, you won't remember this because you're far too young, but I'm sure, I'm sure James, James will. But how do? I'm always speaking. I'm always speaking twenty years ago, James. So twenty years ago, was there not a was there not a company that was set up called All Brands New, yeah? And they'd try to do exactly the same thing where they, but of course, I think it was to do with the franchise model where they wouldn't obviously allow the same cars to be in the same showrooms, and I think right. that's why. But they did it over a almost like a supermarket style, you know, motor point type of setup. So it was outside rather than inside type of thing. Mm. I always thought it was a great idea, you know, mm. that you know, from a customer's perspective to go in and have all those cars, you know, you know, and, and view all those cars and potentially test test drive. You know, once again into two or three choices, I think it gives a huge huge choice to the customer, you know. So and I suppose it's no different to selling used models, is it? I suppose customers no. come onto your come onto your pitch, and you say, "Well, look, if you, I'm sorry, that one's sold, but how about this one?" It's no different to that, is it? I suppose the only difference is, you know, you know, they're all owned by me, and and, and I know what the cost is, and I know what, what what the sales price is. Whereas it's dictated to you when you're a franchise model, mm. and even more so when it's an agency model because they're not even owned by you, and all you can do is get a cut. So what you're going to do is you're going to sell the best ones with a cut, the best cut, aren't you? So. Mm. Uh, it's, well, it's, and with an agency model, they're already sold before they arrive. So they've done it, done the deal, and lie. They're just coming to your multi franchise site to pick them up. So, pick up, yeah, uh, I suppose it works better with an agency model, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Final thing, final thing I will say is, uh, yes. I wonder how if are they going to push this house of Stellantis as a brand? Because has anyone heard of Stellantis apart from us? Mm, no. Probably not. So, hmm. The chap, the chap, the chap that used to use uh, used to own a uh, EasyJet. He was quite, he was uh, quite a similar name, didn't he? Stelios. <laughs> that's Stelios. That's, that's, yeah. yeah, House so of Stelios. Yeah. House, House of Stelios. Well, yeah. What's he called that? Yeah. <laughs> very, very <laughs> orange now. House of Easy Cars. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm moving on. Okay. Um, I am going to go with um, news from Lookers um, that their pre-tax expectations for the year is uh, going to be at least £75 million, a drop on last year's £90.1 million. In a trading update to the London Stock Exchange, uh, for the third quarter to the end of September the 30th, uh, they also announced a share buyback programme of £15 million. Uh, they've also been appointed Great Wall Motors, uh, official retailer for uh, for the UK under the Aura brand, and they've signed a franchise agreement with Lotus to represent it in Northern Ireland. Um, the I, I thought this story was quite interesting because yes, okay, they've dropped their profit has dropped, but still very very strong. Uh, we know that twenty twenty one was a little bit of a moment in time, um, and this year has been tougher, but still very impressive. You only have to. Re- 
rewind the clock a few years to the trouble that Lookers was in when their uh, share price was suspended, shares were suspended um, because of all the uh, the accountancy problems. Um, it was actually a note that I read. Um, I'm not sure whether it was in our piece, but it might have been in the Times report on this uh, on this on the same piece. Um, and it was a point from Lookers. Uh, which, where they made uh, made the point that the amount of cash that they're sitting on and the value of their retail estate add up to the equivalent of 98 pence a share, a 30% premium on what their their current share price is at the moment. Um, and I thought that was interesting. I just don't understand why car dealer groups are so un, so undervalued mm. when it comes to these things. And they're like, that he's just saying they're, they're basically saying, look, we've got the, if you add the cash and how much property we own, we're, we're actually worth a lot more than the actual the, the, the share prices at the moment. I don't see why uh, investors don't rate car dealers. I think they are. I think they're they're I think a lot of them are undervalued. And it's, it was like how Marshall got uh, Marshall Motor Group got snapped up, wasn't it? For an absolute I was just going to say we price. see this. Yeah, we seem to see this time and again. Meanwhile, Kazoo, I've said the word. Bang yeah. the gong. Um, <laughs> gets a massively overinflated uh, yeah. valuation. So it seems, it, it seems all us dealers are doing it the wrong way around because, I mean, what, what you've got to do is you've got to prove that you can actually lose money to get investment. <laughs> that, 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 that's obviously what you've, that's what you've got to do. Although my bank manager would suggest something else. Uh, mm. it's obviously, the invest, when it goes to City, it's obviously that is, is how it works, isn't it? Because, you know, you look at Marshall's, you know, you look at Marshall's, you know, and what it was actually sold for, you think, what a, you know, what a steal, isn't it? Yeah. What it's really because I mean, that's yeah. a fantastically successful uh, business, uh, run by an absolute he's a legend, John. Yeah. He's a legend. Uh, you know, uh, that man has done that absolute fantastic job, uh, and managed to speak to us mere mortals as well at the same time. So, uh, so I, I, you know, I think he's been a fantastic man, does. But you know, the lookers, the looker side of things. When you say it like that, James, it doesn't make sense, does it? it doesn't. It does not make sense. No. Not, I, don't, you know? I mean, I, I wonder whether it's more of a concern about the, about the future. I mean, nobody really knows what agency sales are going to look like um, quite at the moment. Um, there was a little bit of um, a warning from Mark Rabin, the CEO, in this update. He said, although they're pleased with the recent... Any quote that starts with all those always a worry, isn't it? Although we are pleased with the recent positive trade in performance, the availability of new vehicles continues to be a factor limiting our growth, he said. We are also cautious on how consumer spending might be affected during the remainder of this financial year with inflation, higher interest rates and the wider economic uncertainty. So there's a little bit of word of caution there, isn't there, to the, yeah. to yeah. the future. So. Yeah. An, an interesting update from Lookers, nonetheless. Indeed. Mm. John, over to you. Okay. Kazoo. So. <laughs> right, thank you. Well done. News this week. I, I, I do feel a little bit, and I apologise to our listeners, but I do feel a little bit of deja vu reading these Kazoo stories out. So it's it's more, more woe for Kazoo as it plunges further into the red with 2021 losses more than trebling. So uh, this is news that the losses from Kazoo have trebled from 102 million last year, presumably, to 329 million. Uh, but they are now making a profit on each vehicle sold, which is good news. Um, so one interesting part of this is that they've the business plan is to break even by December 2023. So 
I mean, I don't know if that's we've we've heard this five year plan thing banded around, haven't we? Is this in keeping with the five year plan, December 2023? Well, I think, yeah, I think so. I mean, these were their actual official company's house um, accounts, weren't they? That's where the mm. story that's where the story came from. So I think you're probably right in thinking that you have read some of it before. I think this mm. was more of a synopsis of of quite how bad things have been for them um i'm just looking at their current share price 0.3 dollars 33 cents uh mm. they're currently at and what did it list at if they listed at uh nine dollars 30 cents all of 96 percent that's that's a small drop isn't it it's a small drop i mean yeah. it, it can hardly be described as a success no not really I mean, there's lots of lots of interesting tidbits in this. Um, for me, it's interesting that they revenue is rocky, rocketed. So revenue was 162 million in 2020. It's now 667 million. So they're making a lot more money, and yet also losing a lot more money. So that's not fantastic news. The other interesting things I don't know if these were revealed before, but it's the prices they paid for some of. Um, no, I think that was part, partly news. That yeah. So it's good that some of our websites partly news. I mean, that's, that's what we aim for at Cardi the Magazine. Read some things that are possibly new. So uh, if you're interested, Drover, which is, of course, the car subscription business that they bought in January 2021 and then got rid of a few months ago, um, or wound down, shall I say. I don't know if they've actually got rid of it, but they've sort of ceased operations of it. Drover was £65 million. Down the drain. Down the drain. Um, there's various other ones. I think Cluno is still going, isn't it? That's their German operations. No, they're winding down. All, oh, Cluno's winding all, down. Yeah, all European uh, operations. So, well, that was sixty James, million. James, if you could stand in the background and just say "gone" every time John says something, <laughs> like, it'll, it'll, it'll sound it'll sound like a government thing, won't it? It'll sound like a Labour. <laughs> it'll sound like Labour in the background. Uh, Next slide, it. please. And their friend Quasi Quarteng. gone, gone. Ah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, there's there's a whole list here. I'm not going to go through all of them, but yeah. Um, I think to, to summarise what you're saying there, John, is they spend lots of money mm, and they now don't have that money. Yes. Yeah. That does that, that does summarise it well. There's a very famous saying, how do you become a millionaire in the water industry? And you start with two, don't you? So. <laughs> <laughs> very, but yeah, a lot very more. true. <sighs> right, shall I move on to mine, John? Yep, go on. I've got one more uh, because you've stolen some of mine. Okay. Um, and I'm going with uh, the news from um, Group One that they're axing the Barons and Chandler's names uh, at BMW mini dealerships. And the reason I picked this one is because I love how we got this story. This is a result, I don't know if you know this, this is a result of James Baxter driving down the A3 uh, <laughs> and looking across at a uh, mini showroom that's just next to the uh, next to the motorway there and realizing it no longer had the baron's name on it so he came back and did some googling and found out that they've actually renamed all of their businesses uh, group one instead um so well done james Baxter. Um, nice way of getting a story um oh. but the, the the interesting thing one with this is uh, that i found um that i found fascinating was that they're not the first ones to do this there's a lot of people that are changing the way that they um that they brand their dealership sitna did it recently didn't they they've got rid of guy salmon now for mm. their jacket land rovers and they've just renamed them sitna, sitna yes dealership. so 
there's a bit of simplify simplif um, simplifying going on out there, isn't there, for these um, for these big dealer groups? And interesting that both of those were were the ones that are owned by by American companies. I mean, you can understand why because even um, I mean, it's probably most of the time we don't notice it. It's only the co when something is taken over and then they carry on the name for years and years that we actually spot it. You know, yeah. we don't notice. If you think about all the dealers that Marshall own, you know, if you go back four or five years, they were completely different names because that yes. was the previous group wasn't it so i suppose it's not a huge surprise um i can't help thinking that that, that it just might confuse these customers really they go into a go into a dealership and it says barons over the door when they think it's actually a, i thought i was going to bmw you know so yeah they just, they I know just go to the local bmw dealer don't they? they don't i think most customers don't even know that they're owned by different people mm. yeah yeah yeah, I'm going to simplify a real name as well. I'm just going to call it Jim Reed and just just, just drop me vehicle sales and service. I think I'll just go Jim Reed. I think it's been nice and simple. The the the, uh, the current one probably Google's better though. Doesn't it? Yeah, of course it does. It does. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a short and sweet one for you, John. Oh, lovely. That's, that's my last one. So if you've got one. Okay. Well, I'm I'm choosing a final one. Um, and I'm going to choose it on the basis of which is the least complicated to try and read out because we've got four minutes left. Um, so I'm going to go with not very exciting news, but Genesis are eyeing up a third UK showroom, third UK showroom, three showrooms for Genesis. I mean, that's really? it's getting a bit top heavy now, isn't it? Three. Cool. I mean, where, where, I don't understand. Well, don't understand. anyway, it's it's you know how it is. It's it's a it's a showroom in uh well, it's not a showroom really, is it? It's a sort of store, shall we say, to use uh 2022 car dealer speak or car manufacturer speak um so they're looking to move into a site on new cathedral street which uh if you are rebecca chaplin previously of the parish you might remember used to be a ted baker store so uh, remember that. yeah i thought so so well anyway the reason i brought this up is is just to talk about genesis really because we haven't heard from genesis for a little while and they do well, seem to bring out new products all of which are electric, which is quite quite in vogue. So they seem to be going not the way of infinity, which I think is excellent news. But of course, of limited interest for dealers because they don't have any dealers. But my controversial opinion will be nobody's going to buy them. But no, <laughs> nobody's going. Nobody's going to buy them. Like there's literally no point in them doing what they're doing. Like nobody is going to buy them. Like if so, my option is. This really nice BMW or Mercedes or Audi, or this Genesis. Well, like it's just that that is not going to be a people are not going to have to come up with a decision there, are they? Because Genesis will not be even be on the list. Well, oh I, come on, I'm, I, come I, on. I, I'm going to say nice things about Genesis because I actually think they're very nice. I think they are. I, oh. I don't like the. I mean, take for example, let's compare the G80, which is their big saloon. I think only I only know this because I'm looking at it. Um, but compare the look of that to the new Seven Series that you sat in uh, and presumably drove to write a review on. But compare the two of them in terms of looks. The Genesis, I have to say, does look a little bit better than the squared-off sanding block that is the new Seven Series. So, uh, I'd, yeah, but I don't. And think the interiors that. are lovely, you have to say. And, but, James, and they're very James, reliable. James, this is your opportunity. You just stand right into the monitor like this and you say, John, <laughs> I thought we we're here to talk about the car, <laughs> the BMW car. <laughs> Definitely not the. <laughs> no. 
That was quite menacing, Jim. I quite liked it. <laughs> it <was> <laughs> it's just the, the bit I don't understand about it is it, it's Hyundai's luxury brand. I mean, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? I mean, it's just. It's, I don't think it is anymore. I think you are showing yourself up as the old man of the podcast. Really? Because Jim, you, yeah. Jim, no, back no, me no, up listen, here. Listen, absolutely not. Genesis have not been the same since Phil Collins left <laughs> all, those, all, those, all those years ago. And, and, you know, I do miss that advert on television as well. Now, let's let's move on to the real serious stuff. The one with the the chocolate advert with the, the gorilla, gorilla with the drums. That was a fantastic advert, wasn't it? Mm, it was. <laughs> and know, for that reason, for that well, reason I would buy a GV70. There we go. So, so, so what Genesis have got to do, employ me as a marketing manager, and yeah. I've got a big gorilla suit and I can play the drums. So, hey, listen, that's it sorted. Genesis will sell everywhere, James. They will oh, open that's... their fourth showroom very shortly. Aberdeen. <laughs> Watch this space. <laughs> I mean, that is so, so, so I have actually shortened it. Uh, instead of, I was thinking Jim Reed from the name of my company, or uh, I was thinking Mel Johns, I was going to take John's one, which is legend, but I'll go for Genesis instead. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jim, Genesis, Reed. I like it. There you go. <laughs> it's, it's the future. Right, that's it, John, isn't it? We've covered our stories. That is, yeah. So I have to ask, uh, Jim, is there anything you think we've missed? I mean, there wasn't much going on in the country in the last couple of weeks, so uh, we've probably covered it all, really. Um, yeah, if- well, I, 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 I thought I thought this morning, I thought, James, you news, you know, at least newsworthy week that has been in the world <laughs> this week. I thought, wow. I mean, how are they getting managed to pick any stories at all? Uh, so I think you've done particularly well uh, dragging these ones to the fore. Particularly with the news of the third Genesis showroom. I'm really in, sure in, headline in, with that. In, indeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is this where I pick? Do I pick the winner? It, yeah. it is. You pick a winner. So what I could have went for, okay, I could have went for some of the really positive stuff, okay, like the Lucas £75 million profit. Good story, that. I could have went, however... James kind of made a bit negative with the Pendragon story, didn't he? Yeah. He made it, yeah, the, the, the hackers and, and whatever, because I will not manage to sleep tonight. <laughs> so so we are going to go with two of the negative ones from John. So I'm not sure what, what, which one to pick. So John is the winner, okay? And it's either going to be the Kazoo story or this Talantis story, because I think House of Genesis is definitely the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> just combine them all house of genesis pendragon indeed.com uh, indeed barons yeah yeah oh. well, congratulations john well done well thank you i owe it all to james bachelor who uh studiously wrote that story and uploaded it in time for the embargo on whatever day it was that it went live thank you kindly so all that's left for me to say is thank you jim for judging today it's been great to have you on Excellent. Thank you. And thank you as well to James for competing. Very welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Good. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week again, probably, with another episode. So make sure you're subscribed so you can be notified when that goes live. If you're listening on Spotify, don't forget you can swipe up now and vote on who you think won. If you want to check out the stories we've mentioned today, you can click the links in the show notes below or head to cardealermagazine.co.uk where you'll find those and much more news besides. Thanks again and until next time, goodbye.